Have you ever heard something so eerie, so foreign, and so strange that your reaction isn't really fear? It's confusion. Like, you know that you're actually hearing a sound, but your mind has no context for it. There's a gap between what you're actually hearing and how your mind processes what it could possibly be that is actually making the sound. Now imagine it's nighttime and you're in a makeshift shelter deep in the forest of America's vast wilderness. Aside from moonlight, it's pitch black outside. Not that it matters. The trees are so dense, something could be just a few yards away and you likely wouldn't be able to see it. That's the situation Ron Moorhead and his friends found themselves in one night during a hunting trip in the Pacific Northwest wilderness. Fortunately, Ron and his friends were able to record what they heard. What they captured have become known as the Sierra Sounds. Ron's even written a book about them called Voices in the Wilderness. We're going to hear more from Ron in later episodes. It was the early 70s when the trio of friends were camping in the mountains at a site known as Camp Sierra and started hearing strange whooping sounds in the thick wooded area surrounding the makeshift shelter they'd constructed with tree branches. I could describe them, but it's probably better that you just hear them for yourself. That's the only way this is going to make any sense. Now, let's hear one more. My name is Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, journalist, and podcaster. And this is Hiding Something. Chapter 2. Seriously, what was that? I ended the last episode of this podcast telling you that before we take this story of strange disappearances in our national parks any further, there's something you need to know about the man who's made a career out of talking and writing about them, former police officer David Politis. Before he began writing and selling self-published books on mysterious wilderness disappearances in national forests, Politis spent much of his time writing about and researching his other passion. By now, you've probably guessed it. That's right, Bigfoot. As one of the featured Amazon reviews of Politis' book, The Hoopa Project, explains, The Hoopa Project by David Politis is the first major research report of North American Bigfoot Search, an organization formed in 2004 by a group of Silicon Valley executives curious about prior experiences they'd had in Northern California forests, end quote. The Hoopa Project made such a splash at the time, it even won something called the Bigfoot Book of the Year Award. But despite the reviewer's claim about Silicon Valley executives, if you go to the quote director's message on the NABS's official website, there's only one executive mentioned, North American Bigfoot Search's executive director, David Politis. In his message to readers, Politis explains that the organization's mission is to find scientific evidence that a large, undiscovered primate is roaming the mountainous forests of Northern California. According to Politis, the discovery of the evidence he's looking for is imminent. He writes, quote, Everyone involved in Bigfoot slash Sasquatch research has been chided, laughed at, and ridiculed for our belief and persistence to develop proof. Our time is near. End quote. 
you don't have to follow Politis too long before attention becomes apparent. On one hand, he presents himself as a concerned former law enforcement officer, presenting facts that may point to some sort of nefarious cover-up being perpetrated on the American public. His books read like crime scene reports, and his media appearances are almost always humorless. But, on the other hand, he's a self-published author of books that attempt to make the case that Bigfoot is very, very real. To his critics, which he has many, he's a conspiracy-peddling Bigfoot believer who cherry-picks details and recklessly blends facts with implications that point to science fiction. After all, when it comes to deciphering fact from fiction on the internet, the line between the two can get pretty blurry. Take the case of Search and Rescue Woods. She's the Redditor who we discussed in the first episode, who shared chilling encounters she witnessed in America's wilderness while working as a search and rescue officer in national parks. Her stories, which included a missing hiker's cane found strewn across a tree branch 30 feet in the air, and mysterious sets of stairs found standing ominously in the middle of the woods, went viral, drawing tens of thousands of readers. Despite many readers believing that the series was comprised of actual experiences, they were in fact works of a genre of internet writing known as creepypasta. The style of writing is often first person. It's meant to emulate the blog style communication where writers emotionally relay experiences that have actually happened to them. The name creepypasta is sort of a portmanteau of creepy and copy and paste because the most popular stories in the genre are often copied, rewritten from a different writer's perspective with new details, and pasted into forums like the No Sleep subreddit. The stories serve as a sort of internet-era form of urban legends, fictional stories and modern folklore tales that morph into accounts that deceive people into thinking that they actually happened. These are the type of stories you hear in small towns growing up, like murderous nighttime drivers cruising local highways with their bright high beams, waiting for passing motorists to flash them with their own high beams as a friendly notice, only to be chased down and killed by some sort of sadistic gang initiation. Or the story of muggers hiding underneath cars in dark parking lots, waiting to slice the ankles of their next victims. Sometimes the stories get passed along and reinvented so much that people just assume they're true, even if they're complete works of fiction. The Stair series by the Reddit user named Search and Rescue Woods, whose real name is Carrie Hammond, became so popular that the Sci-Fi Channel actually loosely adapted them into a TV show for their Channel Zero Horror series. Hammond isn't an actual search and rescue worker at all. She's a fiction writer. Though, many fans of the original post criticized the TV show for missing the point of why it was so unsettling in the first place. Because unlike the TV show, the Stair series actually seem real. What's so scary about a staircase? If you ever see one, just keep walking. Whatever you do, don't go up it. Hammond's series isn't the only time that a creepypasta story fooled readers into blending fantasy and reality. Back in 2014, a popular creepypasta story became so widespread that it led to a crime so horrific that it would become national news. An ABC News exclusive. You're going to meet a young woman with an extraordinary story of survival. She was the victim of a crime that shocked parents everywhere. Stabbed 19 times, allegedly by two of her friends, who said they were trying to impress a fictional internet character called Slenderman. As you can tell from this ABC News report, the fictional character took on a life of its own and led to a terrible real-life tragedy. It also led to dramatic primetime TV stories and eventually even an HBO documentary called Beware the Slenderman. 
This is from the trailer. We came upon a 12-year-old female. She appears to be stabbed. She appears to be what? Stabbed. Stabbed. Wire and Geyser are accused of stabbing the friend and leaving her for dead. Police say the suspects were inspired by a character on a website. Slenderman, a faceless ghoul. We never thought she could possibly believe that it was real. She needed to prove that Slender Man existed and would be able to do that by killing somebody. You forget how much it sucks to be a kid. They don't know how to differentiate between fantasy and reality. People are captivated by Slender Man. That's what I call power. To believe in the boogeyman isn't that hard. And they believe it was real. Here's what the victim's parents told ABC News. They had run away and, and the police hadn't found them yet. And we just knew that Peyton told us Morgan stabbed her and the police hadn't been able to find the girls. And in fact, police believe those girls were walking. Yeah. They were going to find a mansion in the woods. Oh, the mansion, yeah, the mansion in the woods. They were going to the Nicolay Forest because they believed that there was a mansion there that Slenderman lived in. Though the two girls who stabbed their friend were found not guilty because of mental health reasons, the case is one of the most high-profile incidences of internet fiction fooling real-world people. And that's part of what makes Polite's work such a target for serious critics. That and the whole Bigfoot thing. Pilates has written books and made documentaries, but its popularity is really a product of the internet. Prior to YouTube rabbit holes, bedroom recorded podcasts, and Twitter debates, authors like Pilates had limited reach. If you didn't happen to hear him on a late night AM radio show, there's not a great chance you know about all of the people Pilates says go missing in national parks. But the internet is the great equalizer. It democratizes the distribution of information. What used to be mostly the realm of journalists, who have staffs of professional editors and fact-checkers at their disposal, is now home to anyone with an internet connection. And look, that's not always a bad thing. Fake news existed before Facebook, but it also allows for that blending of fact and fiction that can fool unsuspecting users and empower conspiracy theorists armed with selective facts. During the clip we heard at the beginning of the episode, the strange whooping sounds coming from the forest, text appears on the screen of Missing 411 The Hunted. It tells viewers that Ron and his friends wanted, quote, scientific validation of the sounds they recorded. According to the film, they sent the recordings to a professor of electrical engineering at the University of Wyoming, whose analysis said they were, quote, made by a creature physically larger than a man, based on pitch and sound, height estimated 7 foot 3 inches and 8 feet, end quote. But this is from a movie that's primarily viewed on streaming services, widely viewed on YouTube, promoted on podcasts, and discussed on message boards. The filmmakers might be telling the truth, but without the rigors of journalistic examination, who's to suggest that there's more to the story that the filmmakers aren't telling us? I've spoken with Ron Moorhead, who captured that footage we heard at the beginning of the show, and later in the series, we're going to hear more from his perspective as well. But. Unlike many of the interviews that Polites has done in the past, Ron was willing to discuss some of his own theories, and honestly, understanding those theories seemed pretty relevant to the overall story. 
Look, it's not that Polite's films can't be trusted, but they present limited information. As people, we're naturally drawn to confirmation bias, information that further validates positions and ideas that we happen to hold, while ignoring details that just might challenge them. The internet is often a place that plays fast and loose with facts, and sometimes just ignores them altogether. After all, Polites has tons of critics. It's not unfair to question whether a former Bigfoot author, who is now promoting his self-published books about people going missing in the wilderness, primarily online, is also playing fast and loose with his own facts. After all, nothing goes viral like a good scary story. But what if that's the wrong question? Or at least, what if that isn't the only question we should be asking? What if it's not people on Reddit or YouTube commenters asking big questions that we should be concerned about? What if it's actual journalists and investigators asking the wrong questions or just ignoring the uncomfortable ones that should also be calls for concern? Listen, it's not fair to scrutinize the confirmation biases of the Bigfoot side without holding their critics to the same standard. Because as crazy as Bigfoot sounds, Polites also has some high-profile friends who do believe him. When Jan and I had Satellite, we used to watch a reality show called Survivor Man. And it was interesting because it was about a guy who would go out into the middle of nowhere and just try not to die. That's right. Survivor Man. The survival expert and reality TV star who inspired Michael Scott to venture into the Pennsylvania wilderness after Toby got to go on a corporate camping trip Michael didn't get invited to on a classic episode of The Office. The real survivor man is named Les Stroud. He's a Canadian filmmaker and former wilderness guide who combined his passions for a unique reality show. The format of the show made Stroud a sort of reality TV celebrity in the mid-2000s for bringing in authenticity that shows like slickly produced reality series, you know, like Bear Grylls' Man vs. Wild, just couldn't. That's because Stroud was his own cameraman. He'd hike deep into the wilderness all alone and film himself demonstrating how to survive in extremely dangerous situations. And Michael Scott was right. It made for a compelling TV. In his heyday, he was even a guest on late-night talk shows and daytime staples like The Ellen DeGeneres Show, where he'd be asked about his backwoods adventures and wild country experience. But in season six of Survivor Man, a full 10 years after the debut of the series, long past the time Jan and Michael would have snuggled up to watch Stroud on Michael's $200 plasma screen TV, the show took a turn. It was no longer about surviving. It was about searching for Bigfoot. Like it or not, the phenomenon is huge and powerful. And never mind finding Bigfoot, never mind the TV shows, never even mind my own series, Survivor Man Bigfoot. The fact of the matter is, this is a phenomenon. So if you're going to come to the party and just try to throw a bucket of water on it, you're not invited. Turn me off right now. That's Stroud in a video he posted to his Survivor Man YouTube channel in September of 2020. Five years after, he turned his cable show into a hunt for Sasquatch. As you can probably hear in his voice, not everyone was thrilled with his turn from charismatic survival expert to cryptozoologist. Here's a one-star review a disappointed fan named Sarah left for the Amazon show. Quote, This is not the traditional Survivor Man like any of his other seasons. This is a Bigfoot show that Les happens to be in. It's a decent Bigfoot show in comparison to others I've seen like Finding Bigfoot, but I was trying to watch a show about survival. You know, no food, no water, no camera crew. And this season is not that. However, Stroud, the world-famous survival expert turned Bigfoot hunter, 
does have one devout fan. You guessed it, David Politis. Stroud even appeared in a missing 411 film to show just how improbable it was that Keith, the two-year-old child from episode one, who had gone missing, could have possibly hiked to the location where he was later found. How a two-year-old could travel the topography I'm traveling now, uh, little shoes, and, and it was sub-freezing temperatures, even if he was a kid full of energy. This is roughly the area the searchers found him. His father was about 100 yards that way. And he's found here, face down in the snow, hat and coat beside him. Searcher finds him, father one, maybe 200 yards away, runs over, picks him up, and he's alive. Before we end this chapter, I want to tell you two stories, and I promise neither of these are creepypasta tales. The first is a story of a young girl named Ida Mae Curtis, who made international headlines when she vanished in Montana's Kootenai National Forest in 1955. Ida Mae was only two years old, so we don't know her side of the story. But according to a report syndicated from New York reporters that ran in Australia's Canberra Times, a paper that has been publishing news since the 1920s and is still in print today, Ida's siblings told their mother, and I'm quoting the actual newspaper clipping from the 1950s, quote, A bear had lumbered into the Curtis tent, picked up Ida with one paw, then headed back into the woods on three legs, end quote. More than 200 searchers, who were aided by bloodhounds, searched the area as freezing rain soaked everything in sight. The newspaper article continues, quote, She was discovered, safe and sound, apart from minor cuts and bruises, beneath a cedar tree near a small stream, end quote. Now, I want to read a headline that was printed in other newspapers that same week from an Associated Press syndicated report. That's the same Associated Press that syndicates news to outlets around the world today. Here's the AP headline from that story in 1955. Bear falsely accused of stealing girl. A local sheriff named Ray Frost was quoted in that AP story. He told the reporter, quote, she was awake when we found her, lying on her side. She was a little frightened, but not as much as you think, end quote. The AP story continues, quote, Ida Mae was wearing only a thin shirt, shorts, shoes, but seemed undisturbed at spending a chilly night and most of the day alone in the Kootenai National Forest, end quote. Again, that headline from an internationally syndicated AP report was, quote, Bear falsely accused of stealing girl. When, in another report, the odd bear creature seemed to play a pretty significant role. Okay, now I'm going to tell you one more story. This one is from 2019. Here's the headline that ran on CNN.com that you can still read today. Quote, a boy who was lost in the woods says a bear kept him company. No one can prove it didn't happen. End quote. No one can prove it didn't happen. That's part of the headline. Here's the first line of that syndicated CNN piece, quote, We may never know what Casey Hathaway was doing during the three days he was missing, end quote. Seventy years later, it's not Redditors or YouTubers nudging audiences to believe their conclusions. It's the professionals. In 2019, three-year-old Casey Lynn Hathaway vanished in the woods behind his great-grandmother's home. As temperatures approach freezing, 
local law enforcement volunteers, NCIS, Marines, along with notably FBI officials, search for the toddler. Soon, drones, helicopters, and dogs join the search. It would be three freezing cold January nights before searchers heard a young boy calling for his mother. They located young Casey, very cold, but alive and well. Despite spending three rainy days where it dropped below 20 degrees in the wilderness, Casey was unharmed, and he told rescuers how he survived. Here's what Major David McVeigh, with the Craven County Sheriff's Office, told CNN that day. Quote, He made a comment about having a friend while he was in the woods. His friend was a bear. In the emergency room, he started talking about what happened in the woods, and he said he had a friend that was a bear with him while he was in the woods. End quote. Craven County Sheriff Chip Hughes told the local news channel WCTI this. The notion that he was maybe sitting in a house or a vehicle for two days, then put out there a couple hours before we found him, absolutely not. That is not true. Um, you know, his core temperature was very low. Uh, you know, his fingers and all, I think he had a, a bit of frostbite as well. So a lot of it, according to what medical was telling us, was conducive for him being out in the elements for an extended period of time. He continued. You know, the coldness, the wet, uh, and then just the terrain that we were dealing with. Um, this kid was looked after. The sheriff told this to the same local news channel. I don't know if he meant that he saw a bear I don't know if that meant a bear embraced him or what it meant. I thought it was a very cute story, and if that's what helped the child survive through this, you know what? I'm going to embrace that story that came from a three-year-old to his mom to us, end quote. What's really going on in America's vast wilderness? Are powerful forces hiding something? Or is the public so used to internet sensationalism that we assign fantastical meaning to weird sounds in the woods or stories told by children? And what does the media want us to think? And what does the National Park Service, the group at the center of Pilates' conspiracy, think about its work and the life that it's found on the internet? Well, speaking of the National Park Service, things in our story are getting ready to take another really, really strange twist. That's next time on Hiding Something. Hiding Something is a production of the Ironclad Content Network. All episodes are written by me, Jesse Carey. Our editor and post-production producer is Chandler Strang. And hey, listen, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcast. It really does help more people discover the show. All right, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.